0: My name is Paul Toland I'm a retired captain in the. US Navy I served 30 years in the. US Navy Medical Service Corps and I am the only living parent of Erica Toland abducted in 2003 and today wrongfully retained by her grandmother in Japan and this is my story you can
1: be just like me You're a you have to be- In this episode of Your Double Podcast, we are speaking to Paul Tolan, whose daughter was previously abducted by his late Japanese wife. Following the demise of his ex-wife, his daughter is being kept away from him by his ex-wife's grandparents in Japan. If you just Google Paul Toled's name with the right keywords like Japanese abduction and so on, you'll find tons of stories written about him because he has been struggling to reunite with his daughter for the last decade. After seeing the struggles that a parent goes through when their children get abducted to Japan, he decided to co-found Back Home, an organization with the goal of bringing back abducted children from Japan. This is part two of a two-part series, so if you haven't heard the first part of this, please go back to a previous episode and listen to that first, because this conversation will make a lot more sense if you already know what we talked about in the previous episode. In this episode, I'm also joined by Thomas Savikas, who will be the co-host for this particular series. If you want to know more about Thomas, you can listen to our previous two episodes. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Uh,
2: One of our speakers, which I mentioned before, uh, the judge has been notified about the Hague being completely non-workable in Japan. And yet the judge did not dismiss that the Hague was workable or not. Uh, the judge completely went and worked on the issue that uh, if a Japanese citizen will not comply to U.S. laws, uh, will simply be able somehow to come and get him, the Japanese citizen, mother or father, w- w- whatever the case might be. In, uh, in that time, uh, the Hague was touched upon, but was not uh, spoke in in heavy terms, being you know country reliable or not. The, the judge was simply saying, "Well, if you do not adhere to the U.S. laws, you know we will punish you accordingly with the laws." So it's just for uh, anybody who might be going through the same issue as we speak. Uh, you need to tell to the judge that hague hey, or no hague, once the citizen leaves U.S. soil. There's simply no recourse whatsoever of any kind until and unless the abducting parent, which uh, by that time is probably in Japan, uh, you know, will will cede the control.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying. Um, there's, there's there's two pieces to that. The first piece is maybe the judge would have been convinced a little bit more if you've been able to submit the report on hay compliance. From the State Department, that would show every single year Japan is non-compliant, but it doesn't show that because the State Department won't put that in there. So you don't have any backing from the government to actually say every single year, year after year, Japan is non-compliant. That might make a difference with the judge, um, and then even then, sometimes you're just taking your chances with judges who just don't seem to understand the international system. Sometimes you get lucky, but sometimes you don't. So. And uh,
2: I would like to I would like to add uh, a little bit on uh, you mentioned uh, being uh, not dual crime. Actually, in 2019, uh, Justice Minister Kamikawa uh, mentioned and agreed, and uh, it's been confirmed in uh, this year once again that uh, parental abduction indeed it is a crime, and indeed there is a law. Uh, penal Code 240, which addresses exactly that. It just does not say that it's been uh, parental abduction, so to speak. What the law reads, it's abduction of a minor. But uh, when they elaborated on the issue, you know, what kind of minor and what kind of uh, circumstances, so on and so forth, it's been universally agreed that even though the parent will take uh the child, without the other parent's consent, that very article of Penal Code 240 will be and can be and should be used. uh, And and this, you know, removal of the child, so to speak, should be treated as, you know, plain and simple abduction and nothing less than that. Yet, uh, what has been, you know, uh, in the legal terms does not happen in uh, In the legalities, in the courts, in the police, in the prosecution, they, they just simply disregard this article completely
0: Yeah. so so, yeah. so let me, so, so let me explain that that, that that we made that argument about that that you know child kidnapping is a crime in Japan, and the argument made back by the justice department was yes, that is for. Strangers' child kidnapping, and that Japan does not have an equivalent of the International Parental Kidnapping Act of 1993. So, because Japan does not have an equivalent of that act, parental kidnapping, a a specific law for parental kidnapping, they could not establish dual criminality. Now, do I think that's a bunch of crap? Yes, but that was what the Justice Department told us. So, I mean, the same Justice Department that later extradited the Taylor. the two tailors for for something that didn't have dual criminality. So yeah, we argued that, and what we were told by the Justice Department was that act. And this is mind you, this is back to 2012. That we were told that act does uh, in Japanese applies to general kidnapping, not parental child abduction. And so, therefore, you not establish dual criminality. It's a load of hogwash, but it's that's what we were told.
2: Well you know, you know when the law is vague it's down to interpretation of it and uh, you know in in certain cases you can uh, you can say that uh Japanese law about parental child abduction uh being very vague it gives you a lot of room to interpret however you want it and it could and should be interpreted the way the justice minister agreed that it's parental abduction. Though the law does not say that a parent, actually a very parent, you know, takes a child without another parent's consent and just runs or hides or, or whatever. It, it, it's, it's, uh, abduction, uh, parental or not, it's still abduction. And, and that should be classed as such because, uh, when it comes to legalities in Japan, uh, at least uh, the way uh, the justice minister said, it shouldn't matter, you know, if it's parental abduction or Taliban abduction or abduction in Syria or Afghanistan, you name it. It's abduction nonetheless, so it, it shouldn't be a big deal. Who took the child? The child has been taken, and that's that.
0: And well, uh, you, yeah. You, you, yeah, you express how it should be uh, interpreted. And I fully agree with that. But, um, but, you know, if you have a State Department and a Justice Department, the Justice Department doesn't want to deal with it. They want the State Department to deal with it. State Department doesn't want to cause any international incidents. They don't want to bring attention to the subject. So if coming from their perspective, they're not going to interpret it. If there's room, if it's vague, if there's room for interpretation, they won't want to interpret it the way we want it interpreted. And that's just kind of the way it works, unfortunately.
2: Well it's it's very sad because I tested this system uh with my very own skin and uh I was criminally prosecuted for the very criminal code 240 for parental kidnapping. So there, there's a law, it's not a new law, it's it's been there since long, long time. Uh and uh when I was standing in a criminal court. In Tokyo back in 2017 i uh, I asked the judge why am I here when I have all the parental rights you know why I'm being criminally prosecuted for trying to see my child and I have been told uh, that uh, you know I, I I should be quiet or they will put me down to the basement in, into the locker and they will continue the trial without without my input. Yet at that very time, my uh, now ex-wife was sitting like two meters away from me and she was observing this circus with a big and nice glee on her face. And uh, when people speak, speak that there's no law, no, there is a law. I, I tested it. There is a law. It works. I, I got criminally prosecuted. I uh, I got sentenced criminally to upon the very law which people claim does not exist so it does exist
0: yeah i actually we brought that up there was a 2004 no it was 2004 or 1994 i can't remember but it was a dutch case with one of the earlier cases of a of a guy getting um this, this dutch national had been charged under that code in japan for a parental child abduction and we brought that up, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the specifics of the case because it's from a long time ago, but, uh, but it just didn't go anywhere. You know, they, 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 Japan brought up some loopholes or something or said he, used, he engaged in some kind of violence, and of course violence can mean anything in Japan, in, in, in taking his children back. So therefore, um, he was subject to their law. And, and so you're right, they, they, they apply the law as it suits them.
2: Yeah, I w- I would like to ask you one interesting question. Um, uh, uh, for for a person who, who stayed some time in Japan and and, and knows a lit just I don't know how much but knows at least a little bit about Japan, not not just from TV but in person. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, uh legal system so many times, but legal system is to 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 be blamed about uh, what's happening with these abductions. Uh, At any point in time, did you ever think that there's something more deep uh, in culture? Maybe in basic understanding of humanity principles in in Japanese logic and how we we treat the family unit, if if they even have a basic understanding, what is a family unit? Is it is it just breaking down to the law, uh, which which makes uh, these things happening, or shall we shall we call it that? It's before the law says anything about it. Uh, it's it's about people, how we think, how we being raised, what what's the culture, what's what we're being taught, and so on.
0: So so I had mentioned the cultural aspect of uh, at the beginning about how you know something shameful you handle in a private situation. Therefore, you never develop a strong system for it, whether it's mental health or whether it's whether it's a a divorce, which can lead to the child abduction issue. But you know, they I've heard continually, and this is an interesting thing uh, that a lot of people don't realize. Oh well, it's our culture that the child should be with their moms. The child should be with their with their mom because that's that's just Japanese culture. And actually, it's not. It's not. So up until World War Two if there was a divorce the man always got the child because the children were considered property of the father and, and even the wife was considered property of the father so if there was a divorce the men got custody 100% of the time then you had the post world war II changes that were implemented primarily by the united states into the constitution of, of, of japan and and into many aspects of their of their society and we brought about the World War II era, 1940s, early 1950s, that yes, this the nurture type thing, that a child should primarily belong to the mother. And that was really implemented by the United States in the late 40s and early 50s into Japan. What happened then, moving forward, was Japan failed to evolve while the rest of the world evolved in this area because they didn't want to really deal with it and develop a strong system. So they failed to evolve uh, into things like Joint custody, because that evolution would take a lot of work. Um, I don't want to get too much into this, but in Japan, you have something called the koseki system, which is your family registry. And based on that, you 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 know, if a family divides in a divorce, the child can only be on one koseki or another. They cannot be on two different kosekis. They cannot be part of two different families. They have to belong hundred percent to one family, and that one family has. All rights to that child. So the other side doesn't just lose custody. They lose everything. They lose all rights. It's as if that child is no longer theirs. And that's the way, and Japan has failed to adapt and adjust that historic system, the Koseki system, into modern day society also. So you don't just lose custody, you lose all fundamental rights of any kind to your child during a divorce. One parent has. All the rights, the other parent has no rights. And that's a result of this historical system where a child belongs to either one family or the other, but they can only belong to one. Um, yeah, can both parents make decisions on the child? Yes, but only if the parent that, that has full custody of the child agrees to that. But the other parent literally does not have any rights. And it's, it's a flaw in their system. It's something they have not, like I said, they have not evolved to, and I don't think they're going to in the near future. And failed, failure to, that's why it's hard to change their family law system, because they'd have to change their entire family registry system uh, to, to adapt to something like joint custody. So, yeah, so really the only way to elicit that change is through pressure, foreign pressure. And I will tell you, you know, I talked about two parts of that foreign pressure. I talked about, like, in the US, the State Department and the Congress. What I've not talked about yet is the press, and I can talk about that for a minute if you want, but, but it's really the third leg of a three-legged stool. Um, if enough, if enough press, pressure is brought to bear by the press, it gets both Congress and the executive branch to act, but it also gets Japan to act. Public shaming is something that Japan really does respond to. Japan, first and foremost, does not want to be embarrassed or shamed on the world stage. They want to be thought of as a first world leader. So when they're shamed on a world stage, they do react. It is this public shaming that brings about the change, and the press is integral for that. Um, the press and the awareness that causes gets Congress to act. Um, in the David Goldman case, you know, he his case was similar to mine, and that his only his son Sean was abducted by his ex-wife to Brazil and then she passed away. And so it was similar to mine in that he was fighting against the, uh, uh, people who were relatives but not parents to Sean. But his case garnered so much press uh, and just caught fire at the right time that the State Department was forced to act and actually threatened sanctions against Brazil. And as soon as the threat of sanctions was just made, uh, Brazil acted and returned Sean Goldman and David got his child back. So just the threat of sanctions was enough, Um, and so that's 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 how important a lot of press coverage can be, and it's hard because we're we're fighting for press coverage in a world where there's so many other things going on. But sometimes, if you catch it at the right time, catch the right issue at the right time, you can get some major press coverage. Um, As I know, um, Vincent Pichot tried to get last year with his hunger strike during the Olympics, and it caught some caught some. Very good press and brought awareness to this issue. Awareness is 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 critical. Just awareness in general. I mean, David Goldman's case got into this, got. Most Americans knew of this case. The majority, I'd say, more than fifty percent knew of his case. So it was no longer just a niche issue. Uh, when I talk to people about my case, they say, even today, they say, "Wow, I didn't know that about Japan." Your case sounds a lot like that guy from Brazil a few years back. So they know about. It's in their psyche. It's in their awareness. Um, and, uh, so, so that's, I think, I think that's, that's critical. And that's why, you know, thank, I'm thanking you guys for doing this podcast, because this is part of that awareness. This is part of getting that word out. And this is part of what back home, we try to do as much as we can to get that word out, uh, reaching as many people as possible might not bring solutions right away, but it brings awareness. And it's part of that triad of, of the press, Congress, and the state department that together can actually get actions that happen um so even if people don't know all the details we want people we want to get enough press that people will think oh japan they they got some kind of child abduction issue and that they know about it that they, they don't, even if they don't fully understand it they just even if just a general american knows that that means we're making progress
2: uh well we we kept uh mentioning you know sole custody uh and uh we we weird to the point that sole custody drives abduction uh, then, uh, so, something, something does not add up with, with this, uh, statement that, uh, uh, if they only want custody, uh, and they, they abduct the child, they get their custody, then why there's no visitation before, during, or even after they get what they were craving so badly, which is so custody because the law only allows it. So, so don't you think so there's something more than just a custody? There's some sort of an, an ability an understanding how to share? The custody, custody is an
0: outcome. Um, that is not the root. Um, the root, as I explained earlier, is the lack of enforcement in the system. That's what causes the abductions. That's what causes the fear. Because if there's no enforcement, then the only way that you can ensure custody is to abduct the child and withhold the child from the other parent. If let's say in a system, so it's 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 like in a way almost like anarchy. If you have no system developed, no enforcement whatsoever, let's say I take my child and I abduct a child, and then if I offer a visitation to the other parent and they choose to hold the child that I have now, now now have no recourse back. So now they have physical possession. So now they may get sole custody. It's the lack of enforcement. In a normal world, in a normal world, in my case, my wife, a normal world in a system that has enforcement, my wife, number one, wouldn't have abducted the child because there'd be enforcement of a rule that said that that's wrong and she'd be in trouble. Number two, she wouldn't be fearful of visitation because she knows if, she, let's say she has legal uh, temporary possession during a divorce, she wouldn't fear visitation because she knows that if I didn't then give the child back at the end of visitation, I'd be subject to enforcement of some, something, whether it's jail time or whatever. So it's the fear that comes with no enforcement. The only way around the no enforcement system is to abduct and withhold. And that's the root. It's not the sole custody. Uh, Sole custody, the thing that drives the no visitation is the lack of enforcement. You have a system that cannot be enforced whatsoever. It drives that fear then. It takes whatever time it
2: takes, a year, two years, doesn't matter. But once the abducting parent gains the the sole custody on paper, in reality, so they're finally, by the law, have sole custody. And as you mentioned, they, they took the child to begin with to gain the custody because there's no other way. Then uh, once that custody is already s- legally established, why do you think they still don't let the visitation take place?
0: Well, first of all, after a divorce is what you're asking about. After a divorce has been finalized, let's say. Why is sometimes, it, well, first of all, it depends on the provisions of the divorce. Um, but even then, who's going to enforce that provision of the divorce? Let's say the divorce allowed for visitation. Who would enforce that once the system is still not enforceable. So they can't enforce that visitation. Yeah. The spouse could voluntarily give visitation, but by that time, a couple of years have passed by bad feelings have existed. And there is uh, alienation now between the child and, the, and the, and the victimized parent who was, who had the child abducted from because they don't know each other anymore. Um, and that parent is still afraid if they, if, she, if, they let, if they allow visitation, which is not mandated by the court, so it's a totally voluntary on their part. If they allow visitation and the parent still takes the child, then who does it come back to in the end? It comes back to the family court system, who still doesn't have enforcement power, right? It's not going to go to the criminal system. It's going to go to the family court system. And the family court system is going to say, please, you're not the custodial parent. Give that child back. But that's all they can do. Um, not only that, it's it's well, i it, it there's just a lot to it, but but I just don't I don't see it happening. It could happen if it's an amicable amicable divorce, sure. I do know Japanese people who got divorced and, and both parents are involved in raising their child, it does happen um because it was an amicable divorce. But in an in an ugly divorce, um one parent's gonna think of the other parent as uh um no longer having any rights to the child. I mean, that's the other thing. <laughs> legally, after a divorce, it's the same as if you're dead, you have no legal rights. You don't exist on any documents that have any rights to the child. because if the child goes on one Koseki system, one, one family Koseki, and the other parent has no legal rights. It's, it's legally as if they've been as if they've died. There's no legal difference. Um, so yeah, there's some culture there as well um in that you know uh kind of there's some culture going back to the say the 1960s and 70s japan where the man's supposed to go to work and he's supposed to earn the money and the mother does the child rearing and the man doesn't have much of a role in raising that child yeah there's some of that mixed in there as well that they haven't like i said they haven't evolved to the modern day and if and for those parents that want to be evolved into modern day society, they don't have They don't really have much success because of the legal system and the way it is.
2: Don't you think so? There's uh, some sort of uh, lack of basic uh, understanding about the humanity.
0: Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with that. Parts of it, maybe, but but I think if if my former wife has to go ahead live within a structure. That had enforced mechanisms to protect both parents' rights to the children, she would have protected um, Erica's rights to both parents. I mean, they would have my rights would have been protected and she would have abided by it. Otherwise, she would have been outside the boundaries of the law. In Japan, she's not outside the boundaries of the law, and the law encourages her to withhold Erica. And and you add to that, in 95% of divorces, there's there's already bad feelings between both the parents. There's there are already not happy with each other, that's why they're getting divorced. They already think the other person's a bad person. That's why they're getting divorced. So in a situation like that, the legal system comes to, into play to protect uh, both sides. And there's no, there's no legal system protecting both sides in a divorce. That
1: makes sense because uh, most of the laws that we have is to regulate conflict, right? Because if there's no right. conflict, there's no wrongdoing or there's no break of trust kind of thing then there's no need for law because all of us can be just like, you know, kumbaya all day. Right. So, right. yeah. So that makes sense because they don't have enough uh, faculties to manage that. They are kind of stuck in a loop where people are empowered to do the wrong thing and the law allows them to do the wrong thing. And then the cycle keep, keeps uh, going on. Uh, so I want to make it uh, slightly practical than what we're talking about. We have talked a lot about Japan and all that, but say that I'm a young person, uh, say I'm in my thirties and I noticed that my wife has a, uh, abducted my kids, say that it happened yesterday and they come to you or like uh, back home and they ask like, hey, let me know, Paul, what should I do now? What should be my first step, second step and so on? And what are the right actions I can take so I have the highest possibility of getting back my children?
0: So if it's Japan, if a child's been abducted to Japan, um, we would tell them you know, to do all the things you'd expect to do, contact the State Department, contact the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, get an attorney. Um, but also, um, if it's a very fresh case, and, 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 uh, and you have a legal document at hand, you know, see what you can do to try to get them returned uh, by flying over there or whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't encourage vigilante justice, but if somebody has, but I do encourage um, that parents use every means of possible legally, to get their children back. And I've seen that the only successful cases I've ever seen is, is when somebody actually intervenes and and gets and and physically takes their children back if they have legal custody and, and they manage to, to get them back. Like, like, like if Chris Savoy had been successful, um, his children would have been back here in the U S because that was the legal place for them. Um, and he knew that going through only the legal system in Japan was never going to work. Um, unfortunately, it all depends how much risk that parent's willing to take, because by going to Japan, you incur a risk right there. You know, so you really have to weigh each person, each parent's individual um, uh, situation. But, but I, th- I think, obviously, you want them to do all the legal stuff. Um, and if, 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 if going and getting the back is legal, then they need to go and get the back and not just fight it from this side of the ocean. Yeah, and sometimes you're on the clock. You're you're on the clock uh because you have an opportunity where that child you might have a legal legal custody of that child or something and the other parent doesn't. So you really do have a strong legal case at that point. I missed the window in my own case. Uh and immediately after my wife died and I was contacted and told that she had died um, and at that time, we were negotiating for potentially me going over there for Christmas to visit America. Negotiations were underway. And my wife's sister called and said, oh, don't bother coming over to Japan because we're going to uh, bring her to the U.S. right after the new year anyways to live. And so based on that, I was in negotiations back and forth with her sister about bringing her to the U.S. and what schools she'd go to and how we get her enrolled in school and all this other kind of stuff. And then, at one point in January, after I didn't go there for Christmas based on that, but at one point in January, she shut off all contact with me, and I never had contact again. And I later found out that the point at which she <laughs> the point at which she cut off contact was right after the grandmother got uh, guardianship in Japan. So they tried to defer me through basically um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, uh, not, not through lying to me, basically, they, they and and uh, they tried to trick me into not going to Japan during that window where I would have been in a very strong legal position until the grandmother got guardianship of her. And then once she had that piece of paper in Japan, then I was in a much worse legal position. So they they they, they tricked me basically, and I, I I regret that to this day that I didn't just go over there as soon as I found out Etsuko died and and take Erica back because at that time nobody had any paperwork as far as that they they had custody or possession of her and i was her only living parent and i at that point had an opportunity and uh like i said they they deceived me uh, to, into believing that they were going to bring her back and like i said negotiating what talking about what schools should we enroll her in in the u.s and all this other stuff and it was all just a ruse to buy time for the grandmother to get guardianship in japan and so you know if, if you have the opportunity and you have all the legal documents in hand, uh, go do something about it physically and don't just sit back and let the legal system play out because it'll never, ever work for you, at least not for Japan.
1: Right. And uh, with that said, right, let's divert our attention back to the United States. What do you think the U.S. Uh, politicians or delegates or whoever that's in power, elected or otherwise, should do? to help the situation, because as you said, there's a lot of ways to procrastinate this. You can say there's a new administration coming, you can say that, hey, we are trying our best, or you can say like, hey, we are protecting our other interests, like you know, economy and so on. But what you think as a US uh, veteran and also somebody who have done a lot for the US and have met a lot of parents who are in the similar situation as you, what do you suggest that the US should be doing or like what they should do, say in the next five years to, to somewhat solve this issue, resolve for real, not just in a file. So,
0: here's the problem: you have the Goldman Act, which is has um, ever strengthening steps you can take all the way up to sanctions on a country for being non-compliant. Um, but the Congress alone cannot tell the executive branch to implement those sanctions. They can try to strengthen it a little bit more, but what? But the State Department needs to seriously take. I look at the steps available. Look at, this, look at the options available in the Goldman Act. And what they need to do is, if they started with step one, which is like a uh, demarche, which is like a warning, if you will, they're not allowed to do step one again and again and again. Once they've done step one and a country is not complying, I think the law should be written that then they have to move to step two and step three and step four until finally they go to as high as sanctions. If that was the case, uh, the State Department would have already. Uh, impose the threat of sanctions on Japan. And that would change everything as it did in the Goldman case in Brazil.
1: How far you think uh, the United States got uh, to you know, imposing sanctions? Not far at all.
0: There, there's, a, there's a series, I think, said eight steps that they can do in the Goldman Act. And with the early step being a demarche, which is like a warning. And what they do is they do a demarche. Then a year later, they'll do a demarche. Then a year later, they'll do a demarche. They never escalate the steps that they can take. So not even close to sanctions. And we need to find some way, I don't, I'm not an expert on this, uh, but some way, I don't know if the legislation can have it in it, but some way that they, they are they're forced to escalate each time. If they're non-compliant, they do a demarche, then the next time they escalate to something more severe, then something more severe, until finally it results in sanctions. That would be a way to actually wake countries up so they can't just ignore it. But the State Department doesn't want to do that. They didn't even show up at the last hearing, you know, so they don't care about that. And I don't know how much Congress can force them to escalate each step. And that's kind of where the dilemma we're in. I mean, in a perfect world, we'd have a law that escalates each time to a higher and higher and higher, more strong reaction, but we don't have that right now. And I I don't know if we can, I don't know if Congress has the power to do that.
2: What about, what about the U.S., you know, I don't know. State Department, Defense, CIA, wh- whoever is in charge in in Japanese skies, uh, just sends a message uh, to North Korea that for 15 minutes the skies are open. Uh, wouldn't it be that the uh, big enough uh, sanction?
0: That kind of stuff's not realistic. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of things that we've tried that we know are not realistic. Um, we got to stick with the realistic stuff. Uh, the realistic stuff is. Work with Congress and work with the press and awareness to get both the State Department to react and Japan to react. Public shaming, publicity, um, those are the things that do it. I mean, the, the, the Depart- Department of Defense, it's not their issue. Child abduction is not their issue. They're going to defer to the State Department because the State Department is the branch of government that is in charge of this issue. Um, every time I've, you know, I was in the military for 30 years, and every time I tried to engage the Department of Defense, it was. Uh, let's let them, uh, that, that needs to be kicked over to the State Department, because that's their issue. Just like just like uh, buying weapons is not State Department's issue, it's the Department of Defense issue. So they, they have their own lanes. And, and so I don't think Department of Defense or anybody else is gonna do anything. The two, the two main branches of government involved in this are the State Department and the Justice Department.
1: Yeah, and if someone is listening, and then they say like, hey, what Paul is saying is true. I wanna send an email to someone at State Department, or I wanna do something what can people do? Like, who, who do you want them to reach out? Like, give us a name or or something, because the State Department can be like, you know, hundreds and thousands of people, right? Because there's a lot of people there. So which department, which person, or which elected official that we should be emailing? Yeah, so,
0: you know, you can get in, and uh, I don't know if you can find the contacts, and I don't know if I'm allowed to necessarily give out government email addresses on this podcast, but but the key, the key fold... Key people are, you know, the director of the Office of Children's Issues, and above that is the Assistant Secretary for Counselor Affairs at the State Department, and above that is um, the. Uh, they, they fall under an, another branch. Uh, I forget what it's called. I can, I've got the whole. I have the whole thing laid out somewhere. And, uh, but as an individual, you're not going to get anything from the State Department. What you need to do is contact your local congressman. Uh, and 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 if we have enough congressmen that are aware of this issue and that are outraged by this issue then that will prompt the state department to act. So go to, go to find your local congressman. Also contact us at Back Home. Uh, we're at uh, www.eachome.org. Um, I don't want to giving out individuals emails over, uh, but, um, but like I said, www.backhome.org. Um, is one way and we will then work with you more on getting you linked up to your local congressional representatives and your senators and things like that and and uh, that's usually the way that we've tried to try to work this
1: yeah in line with what you said right who are the people that publicly trying to fight this i mean i know back home is but i mean like elected officials or congressmen congresswomen who are the people that actually uh, have their attention on these particular issues champion,
0: uh, the, the champion of this in, in congress is congressman chris smith like i said every, every He's always been involved. Um, you know, Congress rotates quite a bit, so we have a few senators who are championing it uh, and have championed it in the past, like uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, but uh, so it really varies because Congress rolls through a lot. We uh, we've engaged uh, Congressman Adam Smith, who is the chair of the of the uh, uh, the House uh, Armed Services Committee. We engaged the chair of the House Foreign Relations Committee. All of those people are are key players. Uh, But but like I said, I I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm hesitant to give out email addresses here uh, because there's so so many of them on the State Department side. You know, there's there's a dozen key officials who are involved in the issue. So at the State Department that are involved in this issue, a few at the Justice Department and um, a number of congressional representatives on both sides in the Senate and the House. Congressman Smith, obviously, is our primary champion. Try to get their staffers involved in the issue, their congressional staff, because you're not going to input right away. To, and if you get them interested in the topic, they will get their congressman interested in the topic. Um, I had a When we first got a hold of Jim Moran's office, it was through one of his staffers um, who we had a hallway conversation with. And he got really interested really fast. And, and we worked with him daily. And then he eventually pushed the idea up to Con Farhan, who then it and co-sponsored uh, House Resolution 1326. And that's kind of how it works. It works through your congressman's office, your con- the congressional staff there, and, uh, and getting them interested in it. Because they probably don't, they too are not aware of the situation.
1: Yeah, so. Paul, uh, something that I wanted to ask you, uh, like, you know, later in the conversation is that... Uh, your child now is nineteen years old, so soon she will get to decide whether she wants to meet you or not. Uh, did she try to reach out to you, or is there any communication or anything she like that? She has
0: not. Uh, I send her, yeah, I, I sent her birthday, I have a birthday gifts recently for her birthday, and I will be sending her uh, a bunch of um, uh, Christmas presents for her coming up as well. And uh, um, you know, I don't know for sure that they don't that they still live in the same location or not. But um I'm I'm hoping they do and hope that she gets them. They don't they do not get returned at this point. So and I know that in the past from a, through a private investigator, I've received confirmation that she gets them. So I don't have a so I don't I I don't know if she's still getting them or not, but I still send them and I always put my contact information in there for her and hope that she can reach out to me someday. But it's hard because a lot of parents, a lot of children never do because of the way Japanese society is it's it's um, it's much harder for them to to reach out and make that make that uh, effort because it's it's just something in their internal their society that I don't know too many parents whose children have reached out to them even after they're even after they're grown. Or, yeah. So,
2: uh, do you have any knowledge uh, if your
0: daughter obtained the I do US not passport? Have any knowledge? Um, she has until the age of twenty in Japan to decide. Between Japanese or U.S. citizenship, they allow you to hold dual citizenship until then. And at the age of 20, then she has to make a decision between one or the other. Um, I know that on her 18th birthday, the State Department uh, sent her an email outlining her rights as a U.S. citizen and her rights to obtain a U.S. passport if she wants. But I do not know whether she... Got one or not?
2: And you don't know that she got it, not because uh, the State Department is not telling you. There's they, simply no such information. No, nobody withholding that information from you. Right? So
0: they're not talking to the State Department. So State Department mailed that letter uh, to them. I saw, I got a copy of that letter, and I, and and uh, and I know that they received the letter, but that's they didn't respond to anything to the State Department. So. You know, if they're non-responsive, they're non-responsive.
1: Yeah, so say that uh, your daughter ends up listening to these podcasts and then she's re- is, she's like listening to what you're saying. What will your message be if your daughter is listening?
0: Um, I would encourage her to reach out to me. I'd like to, you know, have a relationship with her. I'd like her to know that even though she's probably been, well, yeah, I, I won't necessarily say that, but she there's a chance she's been subject to some parental alienation over the years, but just to not be afraid, just to, I am her parent. I'm part of her life. I always will be, even if we're not together. So, you know, reach out to me. Um, and I, I, I will take things very gradually. Um, it's not something I would just rush into. I will not do anything that would, would, um, would not be at a pace that she doesn't want. So whatever kind of reunification we have, it'll be at the pace that she wants. And it'll be over time, but I would really love to to still have a a life and a and a, and a relationship with her. And one other thing for my to daughter, this also that I love her very much. I mean, I've thought about her every day, and I, I still do. So I want to make sure that she knows that.
1: Right. Let me do some uh, quick fire round here. So there's a bunch of questions that uh, that I normally do ask, but then I didn't get to ask you. And I know that we want to talk more about the politics end of it, which we did. So one of the questions I have here is that um, you know that this happened to you, and you have. Uh, somehow successfully remained uh, as a person who was not too depressed and, and still trying to do something productive in your life. I'm not sure to what extent you are, but I'm, I can see that you are. So if some parent is going through this, a lot of time they might go into depression, they might ha- end up like, you know, having a lot of dark thoughts and all that. So what's your advice or what are the things that uh, they should be doing to avoid that?
0: So I went through some terrible times back in 2004, 2005, Back then, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, and then again in two thousand seven after Etso committed suicide. But you've got to just take the long perspective and, and work hard uh, to move on. Every every day is just a, a, a new day, and and um, when you look at it in hindsight, you know, you know two thousand eight was better than 2007 and 2009 was better than 2008 and 2010 was better than 2009. And you just have to take that long perspective. And then I've rebuilt my life. I'm remarried. I have two stepchildren who are now grown, but I was with them through their teenage years. Um, and so I just have a, I really um, enjoy my life. I do still have this void in my life of, of, of never having a relationship with it. Erica, but, but you can move on with your life and you just have to take it one day at a time and be strong. Um, in your own way and and find some things to take your mind off it i would i i I think that helped me a lot in the early days during the week, of course, I had work, but on the weekends, you know i had I had to get involved with some extracurricular activities um, that would take my mind off it otherwise, I'd just be sitting at home sulking all weekend so i you just have to keep busy, I think keeping busy and one of the ways I kept busy was through these efforts that we're talking about right now—I mean, a lot of us parents say, you know, when we get together, we don't have the opportunity to to parent our child. But doing some of these activities and, and working toward uh, getting our child back, and the many activities we do through the back home organization, is kind of our form of parenting because it's 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 all that we have of our children, and it's and it's what we're uh, it's it's what gives us purpose. In our child's, related to our child's life. And the most important thing is if you can do something like I mentioned with the Jason Nitz case or a number of other cases where we've helped prevent abductions, that is so rewarding. You pre- if you prevented an abduction, you saved another child from, you helped, I won't say you entirely did, but you helped, you contributed towards saving another child from the same fate as your child had. And I think that's that gives a lot of meaning to what we do.
1: The United States do know that this is a big issue. They are aware of it, but they're not doing anything about it to maintain a business or economical diplomacy with Japan. Is that correct or is that not correct and what's your view based on that?
0: So I think you know I think the fact that it, the fact that this resides this issue resides with the State Department and not with the Justice Department is is a problem in itself because the State Department's mission is to, um, is to preserve relationships with other countries. And them having the child abduction issue as part of their portfolio is, 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 um, is it sort of runs against that mission because our issue, if it's done right, causes conflict with other countries. And so not physical conflict necessarily, but diplomatic conflict. And so the fact that you give up, whereas the Justice Department, their mission is to enforce laws. That's where it belongs. You're enforcing laws. Uh, State, State Department doesn't, should not have this mission because it's in conflict with their primary mission, which is to make, make for good relations with other countries and not to cause conflict with other countries. So so I just think it's misplaced within the government and that causes a lot of the problems right there.
1: Right, and also if you look at uh, organizations like United Nations and all that, they are not doing anything about it. They are not even talking about it when it comes to like abductions in, uh, in Japan. And it's so rampant when you look at like even parents outside the US, like we have Thomas here from Lithuania, his kid is abducted as well. So we know that this is a global issue, but the United Nations and the organizations who have some kind of influence on this, are not saying much or doing much. Why do you think that's the case?
0: I think when you get into the issue, and one of the reasons when you get into the issue of global international parental child abduction, it is such a wide issue that um, I'm not sure the UN has the resources to attack to 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 really work out every single country's issues. I think they should focus on the issue writ large. But um, you know, we at back home do not deal with every country. And, 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 and abductions to Japan by, you know, to, or abductions to other countries because it would dilute the mission we're on. And uh, you've, ever, you've heard the saying, you know, um, if you put a piece of paper under the sun, it's going to get hot. But if you put a magnifying glass in between the sun and that piece of paper, the paper will catch fire. And that's kind of why what we think about Japan. We want that magnifying glass on Japan so we don't dilute our efforts because it's such a big problem globally we understand and it's, it's just a huge problem um and i don't think we could solve the problem globally but i also don't you know don't know if the united nations can solve every single country's issue either they they really have they can they could put out proclamations about how bad child abduction is but in the end they don't really have any enforcement they don't have the strength and the power that the united states has i mean uh, to they might have the ability to shame countries and i, and I I hope and wish they would. They don't, but but um, I really think that I really think the issue uh, lies with the world's superpower. And I think we're the ones in the U.S. that could really make a difference. The,
2: the UN does shame China, you know, with Uyghurs and and whatnot. So even though they don't have a physical manpower to enforce it or uh, you know to, to somehow you know, work on the issue, they be sure have enough data and they can read the data aloud in, in their sessions and let the world know that China, you know, put a million Uyghurs in into concentration camp. Meanwhile, Japan abducted 200,000 children. That that isn't a big that isn't the big, you know, resource uh, uh, you know required uh, Requiring thing, we we just don't. I
0: would I would love I would love nothing more than them to put a a kind of pressure on uh, Japan specifically, Um, but you also understand there's a lot of other countries too who are um, who have their own problems uh, with child abduction, and so, but yes, we would lobby. We back homeowner organization would lobby them to uh, to put pressure specifically on on uh on 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 japan but you know but i don't know if they would call out one specific country i would love it if they would but uh i think there's a lot i mean there are a lot of other countries who do a lot of saudi arabia india brazil that have a lot of problems with child abduction as well and so you know maybe united nations could call out and embarrass the top abducting countries and i, I would be all for that and i would hope that they would and could but but it's uh, it's hard. It's hard to get the U.N. to move on anything. The U.N. moves on figures because it's a good issue for the United States. The United States pressures them to move on it. And so do other countries. And, and you know, with the child abduction issue to Japan, yeah, you know, Prime Minister Macron has got involved at his level. And Prime Minister Trudeau has got involved at his level. But we have to get the United States at, at the presidential level involved. And we can't even get the State Department to show up for a hearing in Congress on it. So. You know it's 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 uh, it's very hard because Japan is a is an ally in an area of the world where you have a lot of non-allies like North Korea and China and so unfortunately that that overrides our children many times as much as we as much as we want them to solve these issues they 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 choose they choose uh they choose relationships with good, maintaining good relations with Japan over their U.S. citizen children and the wealth, welfare and well-being of those children.
2: Well, U.S. Uh, lectures uh, Russia, North Korea, and uh, China are basically that, that little corner of Asia about uh, human, human rights and abuses. Uh, I wonder why, why somehow magically U.S. manages to skip Japan on this very topic.
0: Yeah, I don't wonder why. It's very obviously obvious. It's very easy for the U.S. to criticize um, countries that are not allied countries. Uh, it's very easy to criticize Russia. It's very easy to criticize China. It's very easy to criticize North Korea. It's not so easy to criticize Germany. It's not so easy to criticize France or Great Britain or Japan. It's harder to criticize your allies because you need them. I mean, we need them. We've got, we've got, you know, we've got tens of thousands of troops stationed in their country. They offer us a bul- bulwark there against, against Chinese aggression and against uh, North Korea. And we're able to be right in North Korea's backyard by being in China. I mean, in, uh, in Japan. So, so it's obvious why they don't do it. And, uh, and we try to get them to do it in, in spite of that. We try to get them to criticize Japan in spite of the fact that they need Japan as an ally. And, and they don't want to do it on their own. So then it comes down to Congress and the press. Like I said, the, the, the other two legs of the stool to pressure the pressure, uh, uh, State Department and to embarrass Japan on the global stage. That's what's going to cause change. We're not going to magically say, hey, criticize one of your best allies, U.S. Over, It's just not going to happen unless they're pressured from external forces to do that. Uh, In
2: reality, U.S. having, you know, number one and number two and number three and whatever top steps uh, over Japan, uh, you can criticize them as much as you want. Japan does not have anywhere else to go. There's, there's no other country with which we can ally uh,
0: to, to, to be where we are today. You, you, you think they should, and I think they should, but they don't. That's the reality. I've been with it since 2003. And, and I've been in the military. I was in the military for 30 years. I know the importance of that strategic relationship between the two nations. And so it's not going to happen without significant pressure from other areas, those areas being publicity and the press and awareness, public awareness, and the other area being from Congress. Those are the two things that can push the State Department to act. They, they, Congress, like I said, with the David Goldman Act, they didn't want to criticize or do anything to Brazil because Brazil's an ally. But the Goldman Act, the, the David, sorry, the Goldman case got such a high amount of publicity and such a high amount of pressure that from Congress that that just the, that that the State Department made the threat of potential sanctions. And that was enough to instantly change the approach by Brazil and they gave back Sean Goldman. That's the reality. I have to deal in reality. I can't deal in what I want or what I wish. I have to take reality as it exists and try to do the things I can to change that reality. And the, the areas to focus on are Congress. And, um, and the press and media.
1: Yeah, talking about media, right? Uh, I know that a lot of the media out of Japan is heavily edited, heavily censored, and at the same time, like, you know, we talked about Vincent, right? A lot of the articles that came out in big news uh, sites on Vincent is now taken down and is no longer there. And I'm wondering why is that happening? Like, why uh, these big sites are working with Japan to take down uh, these I articles? I do not, Thomas may
0: know more about that than me. I know, you know, I. I've had op-eds published in the, in the English Japanese press, like the Japan times, which is not like the Yomiuri Shinbun or something. It's not a major Japanese, but I've also had, a, you know, when I went over there in 2015 and I I brought a case in Japan and it got a lot of publicity in Japan and it was, it was, uh, you know, I had, I had people translate it for me and they pretty accurately reported it, um, in some ways and some other ways they softened it a little bit, but, uh, But I don't know about uh, this censorship of instance cases and bringing down press sites. I haven't heard such a thing. So I'd have to defer to other people who are more familiar
1: with that. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to be in this particular podcast. Do you want to give out some details to our listeners so they know how to reach out to you and even uh, some ways to reach out to back home?
0: I am the co-founder of Bring Abducted Children Home. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to the immediate return of internationally abducted children who are being wrongfully detained in Japan. We also strive to end Japan's human rights violation of denying children unfettered access to both parents. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and you can go to our website at www.backhome.org That's B-A-C-H-O-M-E.org. You can also reach us by email at either... My my back home email address, which is P as in Paul and my last name, Toland, T-O-L-A-N-D at backhome.org, or you can also write to backhome at backhome.org.
1: All right, Paul, thank you so much for being a part of this particular podcast, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here and talking to our listeners. Now, I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you're not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor or if you happen to have difficulties in understanding certain parts within this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable in these topics and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone. And if you have further questions or comments or feedback regarding Find My Parent or this interview, you can always email me at sk at If you're someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page in findmyparent.org. And we hope to work together with you. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Speak to you next week. Take care till then. Be just like me. You're double. All you have to do is ask to see your family. You have
2: so much to say.